Hey friends, welcome to the Old Fashioned On Purpose podcast. I am extremely excited for today's topic. I have Ashley Van Hooten, the muscle maven with me today. And I think this topic is going to be really good, really juicy. So Ashley, welcome. I'm so excited to have you. <laughs> Thanks, Jill. I am very pumped to be here. No pun intended. Yes, it will be juicy. As juicy as we can get it. All the juice. So let's start off. Give everybody a little background on you. Okay. I will try to be as succinct as possible. Um, I'm a podcast host. I'm a cookbook author. I'm a health coach. I have been um, in love with learning about nutrition and fitness for as long as I can remember. Um, even in childhood, I was kind of obsessed with muscles and strength and people being strong. Uh, and it wasn't until probably post-university, you know, people hit like their sort of mid-20s and they realize that you can't do the things that you could do when you were 19, I guess, um, as far as the way you eat and take care of yourself. Um, and so as I started learning how to take care of myself and what was best for my body, that was kind of coinciding with some of the work that I was doing, um, which was, uh, you know, writing. I was a journalist for health publications, um, that led to having my own podcast, um, and yeah, I mean, it just kind of, it was all just sort of a natural progression of the things that I was good at, which was communicating and, and learning from people and sharing what I've learned with others and the topics that I was passionate about, which were learning about food, learning about the types of movements and foods that our bodies naturally crave um, and how to try to fit that into a modern world that doesn't always support uh, the things that our bodies want, which I think you're, you're very familiar with, with the work that you do, so... Absolutely. Yes. And so I'm curious, did, which kind of came first? Was it, so I know you have an interest in food and you've, you've written one cookbook, the one I really want to focus on today, it takes guts. And then you have another one coming out here pretty quick, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I've got a second book called carnivore ish coming out, uh, in February. Yeah. Awesome. So was it, was it like the muscle and the fitness kind of was your primary catalyst or the food first, or kind of, was it all at the same time? It was definitely the the fitness stuff was the catalyst because I like I would call myself kind of a meathead like from very early age. I don't know if it's like I had older brothers and like growing up in the 80s and 90s, like I was watching a lot of like Arnold Schwarzenegger movies. I was like, you know, watching uh, like American Gladiators and stuff like that. And so for whatever reason, I kind of missed... Um, the mainstream narrative that I think negatively impacts a lot of women, and that's a whole rabbit hole we could go down um, about, you know, being worried about doing things in the gym that weren't ladylike or getting too big or eating things that weren't appropriate for women. Like I never really, I missed that boat entirely. And so I was always kind of trying to lift weights and trying to be strong. And the nutrition part came second when I, when it connected with me, how much of an impact that has on your strength and your performance and all of the other kind of fitness and wellness goals you could have. And that, you know, naturally came as I was getting older and realizing that you can't just keep getting away with making stupid food decisions for the rest of your life and think you're going to, it's going to work out, you know? Uh, so yeah. And, and I discovered a love of food through that because I've always loved food, but I never considered myself a chef, um, a recipe developer, somebody who like knew their way around the kitchen at all. Um, that's really kind of like a, a later, more recent um, skill that I've acquired. Yes. And now you're writing cookbooks. I love it. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. 
So, you know, I, I feel like there's so many things that we could talk about today. And I'd love to touch on maybe a little bit later what you said about women in the gym and eating and the whole bulking up idea, because that's something I find interesting. Um, but what I would really love to focus on initially is this idea of eating organ meats and awful. And I have to confess, I'm a little sheepish to admit this, actually. Um, so, I mean, we're homesteaders. We butcher our own food. We raise chickens and process them ourselves every year. We have a grass-fed beef business. I mean, I've butchered a lot of animals. And I am still kind of avoidant of organ meats. Like, I do beef tallow and fat, and I do the bones. But I have just always kind of avoided the liver and the heart and that kind of stuff. And I, you know, this year we have customers now who are buying our beef and they're asking for the liver and they're asking for the organs. And I, I'm like, you know what, I'm not going to sell something that I'm not eating and I'm not familiar with. So I'm like, this is my year. We're going to get brave and we're going to do this. So that's why I just wanted to go straight to the source and, and talk through this with you because your cookbook, which I have on order, it should be here any day now. Um, it feels like it looks like an excellent resource. It's, it, it looks accessible because some of the awful stuff I've seen in the past was like, Ugh, like, no, thanks. This isn't helping me at all. Yours felt accessible and, and so attainable. So just kind of start us off if I know there's people in the same boat as me. Um, why should someone give organ meats or awful a second look? Mm -hmm. I really appreciate you asking that question. And I really appreciate you sharing that you're like hesitant about it because people might look at you and the work that you do and be like, oh, it's probably like no problem for you. Um, and you know, I'll say the same thing that I, I've always considered myself a relatively adventurous eater, but there are certain types of organ meats that I'm not as enthusiastic about. And then I had a harder time when I was going through the process of learning how to prep and cook them and prepare them. And I was sourcing them and buying them. Like I had a hard time with some stuff too. So we could, we could talk all kinds of stories about that. Um, but I think that, I think it's important that people who eat meat, which is the majority of us, no matter what the internet wants to tell you about how popular veganism is, most of us, at least in North America, still eat some amount of animal products. And for those of us who do and who recognize that it is integral to our health and that it is natural and normal for us to do that, um, I think that the next step there is, okay, well, if we are going to kill these animals for our benefit, how can we do this in a way that is most respectful of the the earth, the life cycle of the, of the animal, most respectful to us in terms of getting the most out of the food that we're eating? Um, and at the end of the day, organ meats are the most nutrient-dense foods, period, um, but also most nutrient-dense parts of an animal. So if you're going to eat an animal, let's eat the parts that are going to um, reap the, the greatest rewards, right? And, and I really appreciate that you said that the book is accessible because I think one of the things we're seeing in the food, the online food landscape right now, and so much of everybody's experience is online because we, a lot of us are um, not able to like connect in person the way maybe we could previously, there seems to be just like this clickbait attitude towards you have to be like so extreme to get attention and you have to tell people that they have to eat, you know, heart raw, like bleeding in their hands or else you're not getting the benefits. And um, a lot of the carnivore or meat based, uh, you know, speakers and like influencers in that world tend to be so extreme that it's like it might get eyes on you, but I don't think you're necessarily 
um, impacting people the way maybe you, you want to, because it's not realistic and it's not sustainable for most people. Most people have a hard time like thinking about where their food comes from at all, much less I'm going to eat this liver raw, you know? So what I wanted to do was really hold people's hands and say, you know, again, this is for meat eaters, people who are already on board with that. Um, here are some ways that you can think about just getting the most nutrient nutrients that you possibly can honoring and respecting these animals. There are ways that you can dip your toe in. You can do it slowly. Um, I'm going to educate you about every single cut and why it's good, um, how to prep it, where to find it, how it's prepared in other cultures, because another, you know, key aspect to this is that we're really the only culture who thinks this is weird. Like, modern Western North American culture um, throughout history and even throughout our history until recently, everybody ate everything because that's what you did. Also, you had no choice. Um, we're in this like weird privileged place uh, now where we can like throw out stuff that's useful because we choose to. Um, so you can really learn about like the cultural aspect, the historical aspect, the physiological aspect. And I wanted to show people all of that as well as how to make um, simple dishes that really are good and good for you. Yeah. So you're saying that normal people can do this without like the blood dripping down their, <laughs> their lips. I'm right? a normal person. I promise okay. no one believes this because people think that I'm a weirdo, but I promise you I'm a normal person. And um, it, it is that cliche. Like if I can do it, you really can do it because I have zero history in this. Like I didn't grow up eating this stuff. I have zero training. Um, you know, I taught myself with an open mind and, um, I think that if you have that, you can go far. Yes. Yes. Okay. So you mentioned dipping your toe. What would be the best place to start the toe dipping? I mean, like I mentioned earlier, I, I've already played with tallow and I feel like a lot of my homestead audience is pretty comfortable with tallow and the fat and they're pretty comfortable with the bones in the terms of a lot of us make bone broth. So we're okay with that and getting that from the butcher. What would kind of be that next step beyond those two items? Yeah, I have lots of tips for people who want to ease their way in. So a couple ideas are, first of all, I would tell folks, if you like to go out to restaurants, have a professional make you something first. Go to a Mexican restaurant and get like tongue tacos or get um, go to like a Vietnamese restaurant and have them make you like a, a broth based soup that has um, like tendon or tripe in it. Um, you know, get foie gras at like a French restaurant, like have somebody prep it for you who knows what they're doing so that you know how good this stuff can actually taste. Um, and then you don't have to source it. You don't have to touch it. You can just eat it and enjoy it. And that can sort of start to get the wheels um, turning. So I would say that's one thing I would say, um, feel free to hide it in foods that you already like. You know, a lot of us grew up with like our parents hiding vegetables in casseroles or under melted cheese or something. You can do that with organ meats too. And the best way to do that I find is to um, have ground organs mixed with your ground beef. And a lot of butchers will do this for you, or you can buy your liver or heart or whatever, and you can do it yourself if you're a little bit more comfortable with that. Um, I usually advise like a four to one ratio of like ground beef to ground organs, whatever they are. Um, that way it doesn't really impact the taste too much. You might, it might taste a little stronger, but you're not going to be like, this is a liver meatball. Um, and it won't really impact the, uh, texture too much, but you're getting a, 
nutrient boost in a food you're already eating because then you can just go make your burgers or your sausage or whatever and there's just more nutritious meat in there. Um, So that's another option. And then I would also tell folks to start with smaller animals um, because, and I'm sure you know this already, but smaller animals have milder tasting meat. So if you're thinking about chicken hearts versus buffalo heart or chicken or duck liver versus beef liver, they're going to have a milder, more palatable flavor for a beginner to, to have. So, you know, make my, I have a great chicken liver mousse recipe or, you know, get some pate or something like that and try with these smaller animals. Um, lastly, I could go forever, but lastly, I'd say another big one would be start with heart instead of liver. A lot of people are told, yeah, that liver is sort of like the king of the organs. And that's true, really, like pound for pound, it is the most nutrient-dense bioavailable like source of nutrition. But other organs are very healthy as well. And heart, for example, has a milder taste. It has a beefy texture because it's a muscle. Um, so it doesn't have any of those textural issues you might get with things like kidney or liver. Um, and it's very versatile. So if you think of like a beef heart, it's just like a big hunk of muscle. Um, and you can you can marinate it and grill it on the barbecue. You can stuff it and roast it, put it in your oven. Um, you can cut it into strips and make beef jerky. I have a great recipe. Um, so heart is a good one. You don't have to go from like zero to a hundred. Like I eat, uh, you know, boiled chicken breasts with the skin off and now I need to go eat like raw liver. Like you can yeah. work your way into it, you know? Um, so heart heart is, a, is like much more crowd pleasing than you'd think if you, again, kind of just let yourself try it, you know. That is good to know because I was doing exactly what you said. I was going like leaning toward liver for like our inaugural launch mm-hmm. into this. And I have yeah. two hearts out in my freezer, beef hearts. And I've been looking at them. I'm like, it just feels like a bigger leap. Is it okay? Is it rubbery at all? Like texture wise? Is it just like a roast? Like what's the texture I, with a heart? I do not find it rubbery. I mean, I think the other thing too, people have this misconception um, that organ meats are harder to prep. And in some cases, some organs are more delicate. And that is one of the reasons why, one of the many reasons they've kind of fallen out of favor recently. We could talk about that more if you want, but, um, you know, I always kind of make the argument or I kind of push back when people are like, well, it's, it's a lot of work. And if you just kind of cook it simply, they don't taste as good. I'm like, you know, Brussels sprouts don't taste good either if you just boil them and throw them on your plate. Like you need to know how to cook them properly and then you can enjoy them. Um, Heart is not rubbery. I think if you overcook anything, um, you know, it's going to happen. And a lot of people are also concerned with organs and the safety of organs. They do tend to uh, lean towards overcooking rather than undercooking with heart especially like you're getting stuff that's so fresh and healthy and you know exactly where it's coming from. You really don't have to be concerned um, with the safety of that organ. So you don't have to overcook it. Um, And same goes for liver. Like liver can be a little pink on the inside. It should be a little pink on the inside. If it's like cooked, cooked all the way through, you probably overdid it. Um, So yeah, yeah, no, I I find, I find heart, especially beef heart has like a very pleasing like meaty, beefy texture. I think you'll, I think you'll like it. Okay. That makes me feel better. Um, let's talk a minute. You mentioned it falling out of favor. Why do you think, especially in America, it fell out of, like the organs completely fell out of favor like they did? 
Yeah, so there are a couple sort of like historical reasons for this. And, and around the time of kind of industrialized agriculture, right, when people went from sort of doing it the way you're doing it to big box grocery stores where they just pick up all of these different things that are mass produced, right? Um, when we switched from the corner butcher and the local farmer to that kind of way of shopping, um, a lot of butcher shops that would carry everything sort of didn't exist anymore. Um, and your relationship with said butchers and farmers kind of were non-existent. Like most people, we live in kind of a different bubble, but most people don't have a local farmer that they get food from. Most people don't have a butcher that they talk to on a weekly basis and say, hey, what do you got that's good? You know, most people go to a grocery store and they get whatever is on the shelf. Um, and because organs are again, maybe a little bit more sensitive in terms of their shelf life, in terms of shipping, like a lot of the stuff is not coming locally, it's coming from very far away, and trying to ship a bunch of um, like sweetbreads, for example, you know, pancreas and stomach and things that may be a, a bit more perishable or delicate, it's not as easy to do that. So these things all just started appearing in front of consumers less and less. And as that happened, it started falling out of favor. And then, you know, with that comes like an evolution, not necessarily a good one, in our flavor, taste profiles and preferences. And so we now, and I'm I'm kind of saying this in general terms, and I'm really not throwing people under the bus. This is like a symptom of a greater issue. But a lot of people now don't really want their meat to taste like meat. They don't, they want it to be sort of very bland and like mass produced and not have a lot of flavor. Maybe you add some sauces and stuff to make it tasty, but they want this like chicken breast that tastes like not really much. And so organs, which naturally do have stronger flavors and even things like dark meat on a chicken or a turkey, and even things like game meat instead of beef and chicken. Um, people don't like it because it tastes like what it is. Um, so for all of these reasons, um, and probably a few more, it's just sort of become less um, in front of our faces. And, and unfortunately, one of the kind of human instinctive um, things that we have is that something that's different. We kind of look at it as threatening sometimes. Yeah. Um, so instead of you know, I think one of the reasons why I got into the work that I did is because I always thought of eating food as like a very low risk, um, adventure, adventurous behavior. Because if you try something new and you don't like it, like what happened? Nothing. You're right back where you started. But if you try something and it's good, you just, you opened up something entirely new. So for me, when I would learn about food or I was going to different restaurants and different cuisines, if there was something I didn't recognize or an animal I'd never eaten before, I was like, bring it over. Let's give it a shot. If I don't like it, whatever. Um, but a lot of people won't, aren't, aren't, are more nervous about that. You know, they're like, it's different. And that kind of freaks me out. And I don't know if it's good. Um, so I think that one of the things I'm really trying to do with this book, even more than encourage people to eat organ meats is just encourage people to just be a little bit more willing to try new things when it comes to food. Um, because if you do and it works out well for you, who knows where else you might open your mind and open your heart in other areas of your life, you know? I couldn't agree more. I feel like so much starts in the kitchen of just mm -hmm. awakenings and awareness and taking charge of what we're doing. It, like, just, it almost always goes back to the kitchen in a really yes. good way. Yes. Yeah. Um, and I, so I'm so loving that you mentioned the flavor. I, I haven't published it yet. It'll go up before this episode. Um, but I did a whole podcast episode on like 
I didn't even know what to title it. I'm like, what do I call this? It's like what the flavor of real food, because I feel like um, people are very off put the first time they have the farm versions of many foods, like even raw milk or some, not as much eggs, sometimes eggs, but like grass fed mm-hmm. beef, you know, as we've been selling our beef, we've had really good reviews, but I've had a few people go, this taste doesn't taste like grocery store beef. And they're kind of scared of it. And I'm like, but it's, mm. it's what it's supposed to taste like. And it's beefier and it's richer. And, and it, the people are, are scared that it's, bad or it's it's wrong and it's we're so conditioned that it needs to be bland and homogenous and packaged in plastic wrap and then that's the only way it's safe so i could that's a soapbox it's, so it's it's so true i mean i like like i'm a big fan of like goat milk for example i really like goat milk it tastes kind of goaty right yeah and that's why most people don't like it because it tastes like yep. not water which is what a lot of conventional milk tastes like but yeah and i mean again like we're all allowed to have different preferences, but I do find that the more you tend to eat higher quality, nutrient dense foods, your palate does start to change. Like if you take any of us and put us on a standard American, like very heavily processed diet for a month, our tastes are going to change too. Like you got to like wean yourself off of these things. Yeah. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. It's a process. I think I even know we've gotten more adventurous the longer we've homesteaded. Like it's just a process. So if you're listening and you're, you're, on the edge, just give yourself some grace. I think baby steps is exactly. always good advice. Yeah. Yes. So where do you get your organ meats? I mean, I'm, I don't think you, you live in town, right? You don't live in, on a homestead or a place where you're like raising your own meats. No, I don't think. no. Surprisingly, surprisingly enough, uh, considering my, my food tastes, I'm actually quite a city girl. Um, for now, I, I like to be kind of like where all the I guess that kind of action is happening. I don't know. Um, but I, I'm fortunate. I'm, I spend most of my time, I'm based in Canada, in Ontario, which is a massive province and like mostly forests. So we've got lots of great hunting here. We've got lots of great farms and farmers. Um, and so I did really take it upon myself when I was writing this book to do the research, get out there and talk to farmers, talk to butchers, um, and learn about what I can get locally and learn about how to tell when it's good or when it's fresh or where it's coming from and what's, you know, seasonal and all of these things. Um, so I do get a lot of my stuff just from like a a local butcher that sources from a local farmer. There are of course in the States and in Canada, a ton of and they're continuing to kind of grow and and become more popular. Um, these sort of online companies who will ship their, um, small farm grass fed, like really well, humanely raised, um, meats, uh, you know, everywhere. And a lot of these companies are increasingly making the organ meat thing a little easier for us. So there's a couple companies in the States, um, specifically that make really great liverwurst that, make ground beef that's already pre-mixed with organs. So you don't have to think about it at all. It just shows up and you make your food. Um, so there, depending on where you live, it can be easier or harder, but I really think in North America at this point, if you want to get organ meats, you can get organ meats. And you know, another, another topic here that you, you may disagree on it. We'll see. Um, but I am a fan. Cause again, I'm talking about meeting people where they are and being, um, reasonable, right? And not saying that it has to be perfect or don't do it at all. Because I feel like it's very easy for people to get overwhelmed and think if I can't eat like the best meat possible, I'll just get whatever, you know, I'll just get whatever like frozen meal from vegan 
aisle, whatever yeah. nightmare. Yeah. Um, and so I think for the most part that, and I think, you know, Diana Rogers and a lot of other people smarter than me will, will sort of back up this claim that at the end of the day, you got to make the best decisions you can with what's available with your, with your resources. Um, but less than perfect meat is still better than no meat at all, you know? Amen. Um, yeah. right. So like, if you need to get, like, for example, I get a lot between my, like, orders at the for, from the farmer I will get chicken hearts and chicken livers from the grocery store like it's conventional chicken it's not the best but it's not it's not as bad as eating McDonald's and it's still nutrient dense and it's cheap and it's right there um, and a lot of people you'd find organ meats a lot more prevalent but we just kind of look over it like we just gloss right over it like if you go to any grocery store, you will probably find some organ meats in the like freezer aisle. You just don't see it because you aren't looking for it. Um, nope. Whole Foods, I was at Whole Foods the other day and they had grass-fed beef bones and grass-fed beef liver. Um, but mm. they're kind of like tucked away, like in the corner where like no one sure. was looking, Not their, you know? Not their top sellers. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. So, you know, again, like I think make the best decisions and, and get the best food that you can for sure. But at the end of the day, um, you know, you have to do what, what fits in with your lifestyle and your resources and, and all those things. I, I love the idea. I call it like, I've called it with my, my audience, like good, better, best. You know, I, I obviously we'd all love to eat locally raised grass fed everything, you know, from the farmer, you know, down the road, but it's just not feasible for all of us. And like, we live in Wyoming and it's ranching country, but beyond the beef that's available, we're almost in kind of an organic food desert. Like it hasn't, it's not really popular here. We don't have a lot of organic food stores. Our farmer's markets are meh. And so even I, like sometimes I have really good options. Sometimes I don't, and you just got to do what you can. And I think that's such a reassuring way to look at it versus like, it has to be perfect or nothing, which is just not realistic for most people. Completely agree. Yes. Okay. Um, can we talk about tongue for a minute? Because I think that's the one that yeah. scares me the most. What do Ooh. we do with tongue? <laughs> okay. Tongue is actually probably my favorite organ to eat. Um, it's the most delicious. If we're talking like straight up unethical, I'm just going to put f- meat in front of you and not tell you what it is. Yeah. If I did that with like all <laughs> the organs, the vast majority of people would be like, this is delicious. If I did not tell them it was a tongue. It's okay. so good. It's very... Um, fatty it's a fatty meat not not you know in an unpleasant way but it's like it's like brisket or like pulled pork it's very um just yeah it's just decadent um it's one of the harder ones to get on board with preparing because let's face it you know it looks like a big old it looks tongue. Like a tongue. <laughs> like yeah, the it's, little taste it's, buds and everything are on there. Mm-hmm. So. It is intimidating. That was one of the ones like the, like I would say tongue, brain, and blood were the toughest mm. ones for me because I remember one day like walking home from like my local butcher and I had gone in there and asked them for some like calf's blood and they were like this girl again. Oh my god. Okay, <laughs> fine. And they're like, we can only sell it to you in like large amounts because whatever no one wants it and like I got this like basically like bag of frozen blood and I was walking home with it and I'm like who am I you know what I mean like I yep. I have some moments anyway tongue is one of those things because tongue is large right like a buffalo or a beef tongue is like a solid pound and a half two pounds maybe of it's a tongue it looks like a tongue um so I would say it's actually quite easy once you get past the squeamishness the preparation is actually quite easy um 
what I like to do most is slow cook it and shred it. And then you can add whatever spices you want. You can add sauces. You can put it on a taco. That's a very common preparation is shredded tongue. Put it in a taco. You can, you know, put it into your omelet in the morning. Um, I'm trying to think now if I take my book, I can look through it. Because we have a, quite a few tongue recipes. Um, you can slice it. You can cook it and slice it like deli meat and like fry that up in a pan and put it on a sandwich if you're into that. Um, but... So basically you can either use a slow cooker or you could just use a big pot and you stick that tongue in a bunch of water and you slow simmer it for, you know, a few hours. I've got the details in the book, which you'll get. Um, but until it, until it sort of, you can like stick a fork in it and it goes through cleanly. Um, and you take it out, you let it cool a little bit. And if it, if it has been cooked properly, that outer layer, the tongue layer with the taste buds that will come right off like it just peels right off and then underneath you've just got that delicious meat that is super easy it comes apart it's like melting it's delicious um and then it's just meat it's just it's just meat it doesn't have an overly strong like minerally organy flavor um but it's it's quite rich like i mean anybody who's had tongue tacos if you go to a good mexican restaurant and you've had tongue tacos it's a it's a rich meat you're not going to probably sit there and eat like a bowl of it at a time. It's, um, it's a lot, but it's so, so delicious. Like everybody I know, I try to get a lot of people to taste test my food and like some stuff is some people, sometimes people will refuse based on what it is. And sometimes they won't. Most people I can get to try tongue tacos when they haven't seen like what it looked like to begin with. And, um, I've never had anybody try it that said they didn't like it. So I feel like tacos I can do that. I can do tacos. Right. For, for sure. And it's just a muscle. I mean, you're talking, I'm here, just a muscle, right? Like tongue is a muscle and everything else is a muscle. Like it's so funny that we categorize too. it differently. And like for you, you have, you have processed animals before. So you have done the very hard and sometimes very intense work of like taking apart an animal. Right. Um, so I can understand why for some people, like for you, it might be harder. Like people would think, oh, you've done that. No big deal. But like, you've really seen it go from an animal to food. Right. And that can be very, very intense. But I think like what you said earlier, like giving yourself some grace, like when I was doing this, I let myself kind of feel the feelings a little bit. Like the first time I had this tongue, I was like, like I was kind of like grossed out by it, but I could, I still did it. Cause I'm like, I'm learning something here. This is valuable. We're not supposed to be comfortable all the time. This is part of my learning process of turning towards the discomfort and the reality of what it is I'm eating. It's an animal. It's not just something, like you said, that's packaged in plastic that just shows up at my door. This was an animal and I'm going to eat it and I need to respect that. And if I'm a little uncomfortable sometimes, that's what life is and that's what life should be. And the more you do it, the less, you know, uncomfortable you get. So, um, but yeah, there's nothing wrong with being a little, it's pretty normal to like hold a calf's brain in your hand and be like, this is weird. This isn't something I do every day, you know, um, but don't let it stop you from trying new things. I think that's a really important point as a meat eater in general, whether you're eating organ meats or other meat, just acknowledging what you're doing. There is sacrifice involved. There's sacrifice involved in anything you eat. Death is required, whether it's a plant dying or an animal dying. And I think, you know, we are so removed from that in our modern sterile society. I think acknowledging that, whether it's, you know, for us, I, I face it head on every time we butcher an animal. And I feel the feelings of butchering. Like, I don't love killing a chicken. Like, I don't relish in that. I'm always a little bit sad. But I also know, you know, the life cycle and the beauty of being able to raise sustainable meat and give that chicken 
like Dole Salatin says, a more chickenish existence where it can fully mm. express its chickenness. So there's all, it's like this conflicting feeling. And I could see that with the organ meats, but I think it's a great way if you aren't butchering or yourself or living on a homestead to still like acknowledge that, like you're, you have this mm-hmm. organ, you, it, it looks more like it's from an animal than your package of ground beef. And to just sit with that, I think it's a healthy thing. Yeah. And it's also a way if you are somebody who wants to eat less meat, which, you know, we can argue whether that's the right or wrong thing to do. But if you decide that you want to eat less meat, but you recognize that it is crucial for your uh, health to eat meat, organ meats are the way to go because you can eat less of it and get the benefits because it just has ounce for ounce greater concentrations of these bioavailable vitamins, minerals, nutrients, um, antioxidants, protein, all of this stuff. So you can eat a little bit of liver. That's the other thing people ask me. They're like, how much organ meats are you eating? And I'm like, well, I mean, probably more than the average person, but I'm not eating, you know, an eight ounce liver steak every day. I'm eating, I make a dish with liver maybe once a month and I make heart a couple times a month and I make something else maybe once a month. Like I'm not eating a ton of this stuff and it really, a little goes a long way. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, that's a good point because it is so nutrient dense. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So what would you say to someone, as I've heard the argument before, like, you know, liver is the, the filtering organ, so it can't be good for us because it is what filters the junk out of our bodies. What, what do you say to those type of arguments? Yeah, I mean, it's just kind of a, a little bit of um, lack of knowledge of how the organs work, really, because uh, kidneys and livers are, they're filtering organs. They aren't uh, toxin storage organs. Mm. They they filter, they don't absorb. Um, so they're, yeah, so basically, if you're actually worried about eating toxins that an animal has ingested, what you should be doing is, instead of avoiding organs, is... I mean, obviously getting the best quality, healthiest meat you can get, but avoiding fattier cuts of meat, which bummer alert, that's the most delicious cuts. Right. <laughs> but but we actually store, we human beings and animals store our toxins in our fat, in our fat tissues. So that's kind of where you need to be more worried. Um, yeah, kidneys and livers, they, they help get the toxins out of our bodies, but they aren't being stored there. So um, there's really no... There's no reason to be concerned. Again, if you're getting quality meat and if you're eating that animal's um, muscle meat, there's really no particular reason to be extra concerned about eating their organs. That's a good, a good point. So it's not, not a storage. It's a, it's a filter, but it's passing through right. and moving on. Okay. I like that. Right. So you mentioned plant-based. We've talked about plant-based diets just briefly here in our conversation. So there's a lot of buzz around that right now. Um, and a lot of people demonizing animal protein and, you know, we look at the benefit of eating animal protein, especially for women, and why women are told to eat plant-based. Can you kind of break that down for us um, and, uh. and how we can <laughs> confidently eat good quality animal protein, not feel guilty? How how long do we have, Jill? Just go, girl. Just like just uh. let it all out. <laughs> It's just so frustrating because, I mean, I know you're like the same. Like, we live in this world where, like, I'm just like, honestly, the the marketing people behind plant-based diets need to win, like, every award possible. Like, they're very good at convincing people. And I think because there is this, like, easy topical layer of like morality involved it's like oh but it's just nicer because of course they don't talk about the fact that that plant-based crops and foods also kill animals right so like it's easy to just say 
because it, it's it's quick and it's quick and dirty to say like you're killing an animal and eating it that's bad we're over here eating plants that's good you know um, but one example that I think really illuminates the the reality of what is healthier and more natural for our bodies because this is very top of mind for me I had a baby recently um, five months ago I had a baby thank you and I ate organ meats and I ate meat all through my pregnancy and postpartum and I think it absolutely helped me stay healthy and satisfied and nourished through that process. But I did a lot of research on how people are being told what to eat and and all of the fear, because there's probably never a time in a woman's life where she is more afraid of the choices she's making. There's so much fear going into like, well, what, what could this do to your, your child? And like, you have to make these sacrifices and don't do all of these things because you just never know, right? And I would listen to all of these podcasts, including from plant-based nutritionists and experts who would say, if you can eat animal products while you're pregnant, you should. And these were plant-based people. Like, they were like, you know, we understand that it's healthier and better for you and it feels better to like eat plant-based, but like, if you really can just get some, some eggs or some steak or some stuff in while you're pregnant, it would be really good because that really supports your, your baby's growth and development. Those are things that you're gonna be craving like that, those amino acids, those proteins, those vitamins, they're just so abundant in meat. Like that's the time to do it. And I'm thinking like, okay, so to create this human, like definitely we should eat the nutrient dense stuff. Like let's let politics aside and morality aside, just we gotta do what's good for this baby. But for you normally, when you're not pregnant, we don't give a, we don't care if you're healthy or not, eat whatever, eat, eat chickpeas all day. It's fine. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like I was just like, so yeah. it's, it's so yeah. conditional. Right. And I think that they, they speak to women, especially because we are like the main consumers for the household. We're the ones buying groceries for our families. We're the ones feeding our kids. We may also be the ones that are more swayed by the morality argument. I don't know. This is a generality, but um, and so I just thought that was really illuminating that like, they're like, when it really comes down to like the nitty gritty of like, let's keep a, a human growing and alive, eat animals. But like you just generally, you can probably just get by eating whatever. It's fine. It doesn't matter if you're chronically hungry and your hormones are all messed up and you're, you know, it's, it's a nightmare for you, like figure it out. Yeah. Um, and so, yeah, so, you know, I, I ate a lot of stuff during my pregnancy that people might be a little iffy about like I was eating runny eggs which apparently you can't do I was eating sushi which apparently you should be terrified of I was eating soft cheese I ate liver people were like vitamin a toxicity I'm like no one bats an eyelash if I feel sick and I eat ice cream and mac and cheese for nine months but I'm trying to eat some nutrient-dense liver over here and you're telling me I'm like gonna poison myself like come on let's let's like step back here a little bit so yeah, I mean, I just think that it's my like my little humble corner of the world that is probably like my biggest passion is to show women it's not it's not a like a judgment or a morality thing at the end of the day. Like we're we're animals, we are not apart from the 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 circle of life. We need to stop thinking that we are. I think because we've got all this technology and the internet, we think we're above it somehow, but we're, we're not. We are animals that are a part of this cycle whether we like it or not. It is 
okay to accept your physiology, which is clearly that we are omnivores. We are very opportunistic animals, which is great. So we can eat almost anything. We're like goats that way. We could eat whatever, but we should be eating animal products and plants as they are available and convenient. Um, And spending time being, uh, you know, beating ourselves up and feeling guilty about that only exacerbates the health issues that we're creating for ourselves. Um, so yeah. So I, again, I just try to be like welcoming and not judgmental. I don't want to be that person on the internet. That's like, if you don't eat liver, you're an idiot. Like, you know, cause you're not, we're all on this, on this journey trying to figure it out. Um, but I've had a lot of former vegans reach out to me and say, I did this because I thought it was the right thing to do. And people told me it was the better, healthier, kinder thing to do. And I was so sick that I couldn't help it and I'm coming back to meet and I feel bad. How do I stop feeling bad? You know? Um, and it kind of breaks my heart because there are so many people suffering, um, unnecessarily, you know? And I think just with a little bit of education, like you said before, a little bit of grace, a little bit of understanding, um, and less worry about what like the trends and the internet tells you to do and more listening to your body. Um, we'd all be a lot better off. Yeah, I agree. And I think that, like you said, the marketing is ingenious. It's, it's so very good. well done. It's so good. They're so and good. It, it's not that people are, like you said, it's not people are stupid. It's just that, I mean, how do you, it's really hard to push against that mainstream marketing sometimes, especially when there is the shame that's coming from so many voices. Like even now we're seeing, you know, an uptick in, well, beef is bad for the climate. So that's kind of the next big frontier. I feel like they're getting ready to attack. And, you know, when you look at the bigger picture, it's actually, you know, grass-fed, sustainably raised is actually really good for the environment, but the marketing is really hard to combat sometimes. So it's a well, big the, issue. The fact that they've made plant-based synonymous with healthy, good for you, good for the planet is crazy. It's insane. Like people are talking about like, you know, plant-based, vegan, everything. I don't know paint, t-shirts, like your bet, like whatever. Um, but you know, we, I learned through my process of like, I started out in like the ancestral health paleo world and kind of continued on through there. Um, you know, I learned that just because you say your, your cupcake is paleo doesn't mean that it's a health food that has zero calories. It might have more whole foods and nutrition, but it doesn't make it a health food just because your, your baked goods are vegan doesn't mean that they're good for you. They might have more crap in them because they had to take out the eggs and the butter and the cream that make things taste good. And so they probably have a lot more like chemicals and weird stuff in it to make it taste good. So, but I know, but I understand again that it's overwhelming for people because they're like, I'm just trying to go to the grocery store and get some stuff that my family will eat, that I will enjoy, that isn't like killing the planet, you know, and it's, it can be overwhelming. And I think that again, we can just go back to first principles and like, you don't have to worry about, was it killed two miles away from you? You know, did some like vegan person approve it? Like all of these rules that can get overwhelming, just try to eat unprocessed food. Just try to eat less processed food, food that maybe doesn't have a list of ingredients, food that perishes, um, meat and vegetables, just start there and do the best you can. And you will probably still be doing better than like 90% of the world. Yes. I entirely agree. Yeah. Baby steps all day yes. long. Yes. Okay. So as we wrap up here, I have one other question. Uh, cause I feel like this, this applies to pregnancy, but just kind of in general, because my, the last season here on the podcast, we talked a lot about pushing against systems and kind of questioning the status quo. 
And I heard you say something you were talking about being pregnant and you went against all the advice of what to eat when you're pregnant, the runny eggs, the organ meats, the soft cheeses. What gave you the confidence to do that? Because I feel like so many people, like I remember when I was pregnant or even as I was looking into other health um, pieces of my life on, on my own journey, like it's sometimes really intimidating to question or go against what the experts tell you. So how did you build mm-hmm. up that uh, ability to do that and feel good about mm-hmm. it? Yeah, that's a good question. I mean, it wasn't like immediately I was like, I'm going to do whatever, like screw all the doctors. Like I I did do a lot of research and a lot of like thinking about it. And it wasn't, I, I had some kind of like rocky moments at the beginning because again, like I'm sure you understand, it is a very primal time in a woman's life. And I felt very strongly, I felt very protective and very like, I really want to do the right thing. And so I did a lot of research and it turns out that in this case, like a lot of the, um, the, the common understanding about what isn't great for pregnant women to eat is, is relatively outdated, like a lot of um, mainstream nutrition advice is. And so for things like sushi, for example, it's the idea that the, the fish maybe might have parasites, right? And, or things like, you know, lunch meat could have like parasites or um, salmonella and things like that. And that could, that could be very dangerous for a growing fetus. The likelihood of you going to a sushi place in North America that has fish that's going to make you sick is very, very low. You have a better chance of getting salmonella from eating salad from a grocery store. Just another reason not to eat salad, guys. I'm kidding. Anyway, um, but I mean, and you think again, like cult, this cultural thing, we're so like myopic and we think that we are we are the, like the the baseline and everybody else is weird. But like, do you think in Japan that these women aren't eating sushi all day, every day when they're pregnant, because like some North Americans say like, don't worry about it, eat ice cream all day. Like, no, they're eating their cultural food and it's healthy for them and it's good for them. So, and you know, again, it was like the things like unsafe runny eggs. Like we live in a a time where our food is quite safe. And I felt like the risk of eating, the risk of getting salmonella from any of these things, I was, I felt good enough with how low that risk was that it was worth it for me to eat these nutrient dense foods that I knew would nourish me and nourish my baby. Um, and that was just it. And then once I kind of like, again, started like delving into it a bit more and seeing sort of how outdated a lot of this stuff is, um, I was just like, what if, if it's food that I consider healthy for myself, it's food that I consider healthy for my baby. And if it's stuff that I wouldn't normally eat when I'm not pregnant, I'm not going to suddenly start eating it because I am pregnant. Um, and you know, I was going on again, I was like doing like my journalistic research. I was going on like these pregnancy apps and they'd be like, you got to get your protein in while you're pregnant. Here are the 10 best protein sources. And I kid you not, there was not an animal protein on that list. It was peanut butter. It was chickpeas. It was quinoa maybe, which you have to eat three cups of to get the same amount as like four ounces of beef. Right. So I'm like, And, you know, again, I'm not, we don't need to go like crazy down like conspiracy theory alley here where like everybody's out to get you. However, there's definitely some special interests slash misinformation going on there that would tell women, eat your protein and not even mention fish or chicken or steak. That's insane. So yeah, I mean, at the end of the day, you got to do what's right for you. I'm not telling anyone out there like eat a hundred runny eggs while you're pregnant, but I ate the food that I knew was safe and healthy for me and that's it. I did my due diligence and I ate what I felt comfortable with and um, I'm happy that I did. I love it. Knowledge is power. Always. That's it. Yep. Yep. So where can people find you? I'm sure they're going to want to follow along with your adventures. Where is the best place to do that? 
Yeah. Um, I'm mostly, I'm mostly on Instagram. So my handle there is the muscle maven and I have a website. It's just my name, ashleyvanhouten.com. And I post stuff there about like the new books and things like that. Uh, and then I have a podcast that's called muscle maven radio. I'm doing like a brief hiatus on that right now while I, you know, have a baby that's needs me constantly. Um, no big deal. Um, but my, my last, my recent podcast was actually like a kind of deep dive on my pregnancy, um, birth, like delivery and postpartum and all of the things from the decisions I made around how I wanted to give birth and nutrition and exercise and all of that. Um, so if anybody who's listening is like, you know, in that part of their life, they might find that interesting. Absolutely. And so you, and guys, so she has a book called It Takes Guts that I have ordered. And when I start cooking from it, I'm going to post it on Instagram and tag you. So just Thank FYI. Thank you so much. <laughs> I appreciate that. I will let you know how it goes. And then your other book, Carnivore-ish, is coming out here February, right? Yes. Yeah. yeah. Carnivore-ish yeah. is a little bit more, a little bit more mainstream. I mean, you could certainly, I'm sending you a copy of this one. You certainly will use, be able to use this in your life as well. It's, um, there's some organ meats in there, but it's mostly like just protein forward, kind of what we're talking about. This book is for people who, I want this book. I want Carnivore-ish with this meat on the cover. I want this to be in the healthy eating section where all of those vegan cookbooks are like yep. fingers crossed. I don't know if it's going to get there, yep. but that's my goal. I want people to know that they can eat food that is actually nourishing and protein forward. And it's good for you. You don't have to feel bad about it. Eat all those chicken thighs, eat all those steaks is good for you. I love it. I love it. Great vision. So Ashley, thank you so much. This has been fantastic. I feel so enlightened and I'm actually excited to go out and dig in the freezer and see what organ meats I have out there. I'm going to put them in the kitchen and get going. <laughs> My job is done. Thank you so much, Jill. I really appreciate it.